Welcome to A Tribe Called Yes, the podcast that brings you closer to the world's most notorious risk takers, trailblazers, and enemies of the status quo. Now, here's your host, Darren K. Roberts. Welcome back, Tribe. Hey, listen, first off, thanks to all of the great feedback on my book, Call an Audible. We continue to be an Amazon bestseller. And thank you so much for the positive feedback. People who've benefited from the pivot points that I provide, pick up your copy today and let me know what you think. Now we have back on the tribe for part two, Miss Allison Burnfields. Yeah, you know, you kind of mentioned in passing the fact that you, you know, you basically ran Rock the Vote. And mm-hmm. remind me, that year was, it's late 90s, huh? Like 98, no, I was there. I got George W. Bush elected. Um, the youth turned out for George W. Bush. Yep. He did. He was telling everybody he was going to, the stock market was doing well. And he told people that he was going to privatize Social Security. And the kids loved it. Um, so, yeah, that was one of the big things that really got young people excited. And, and essentially, people presume that people turned out for Al Gore, but really, George W. had a pretty good youth turnout. It's all coming back to me now. Al Gore in the lockbox. Yes, the yes. lockbox. Where did it happen in that lockbox? Where is that? It? <laughs> it's, 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 it's in a closet. <laughs> and, and Al goes in there and cries. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, it was, it, was a, you know, it was a long time ago, but we really were talking about the exact same issues about, and a lot of the things that, a lot of the tactics that are used that people question now about, you know, voter suppression and, you know, young people being who are, you know, wanting to vote where they go to school, um, but then not having the proper ID and being turned away, or even if they were allowed to vote without ID, being told that they couldn't by the people at the polls and, you know, all sorts of questions about um, participation. And so, yeah, it was, it's sad. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, you know, you're an avid blogger. I got to get to this. You wrote a blog, you know, shortly after the election and, and you had several points kind of on, you know, um, the next the next step for people in life. And point six was subscribe to a newspaper, yes. which I thought was really striking. I'm a I was subscribed to the Wall Street Journal um, uh-huh. for many reasons. One, it kind of gives me a viewpoint. It, it runs counter to a lot of what I yeah. believe in. So it's always good uh-huh. to read the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of my my weekly thing of going to Starbucks and putting on some headphones and getting my fingers with the nasty ink uh, <laughs> stuff. It feels so like American and mm-hmm. um, how, what newspapers do you subscribe to? And then what do you think it, it does for people to actually, you know, subscribe to a, to a newspaper? Well, I, so I get the, I live in Seattle, but I get the New York times delivered um, to my house seven days a week, the actual paper. Hmm. Um uh, I read a lot of other stuff um, online, a lot of, you know, and I do, as you, as you do try to look at stuff, including Wall Street Journal, like you actually have to have a subscription to be able to read their content digitally. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I might steal one, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but I try to, but I do try to look at, a, at, at other people's perspectives. But I think the primary reason I said that is that I feel like people have become really, and this is across the spectrum, ideological spectrum, people become, become really hostile toward the media um, and blaming the media for a, a, a great deal. Um, and I, my perspective is that we complain about it, but none of us actually pay for it. We get a lot of content for free. 
Um, and as a result of that, the business models that a lot of news outlets have have had to change, um, and so they've had to, you know, uh, strive for profit more than they might have in the past. Um, but they also have had to cut back on paying reporters. Um, they've had to, including investigative reporters, and that in the coming administration, that the media are going to have to play an incredibly, incredibly important role because if you have a the same party in the in the White House and then in both bodies of Congress, there's we have checks and balances but they might be a little weaker. Um, and so having the, the media out there as watchdogs um, and paying attention and reporting to people about what's not, what's not going well or, or how they can get involved, I mean, those are, that's going to be incredibly important. And for us to continue to point our fingers at the media without supporting them to do better work by giving them the resources to do it, then, you know, we're, we're in trouble. So, yeah, I mean, there are things that, I mean, I, you know, what's been really striking to me about people's response to the election, those of us who, who may, who did not want Donald Trump to be elected. Um, and I, I, I'm quite happy saying that, um, that it's so clear that we need better civics education because people actually don't seem to understand how government works. Mm. So like, let's call the state department to get you know, voter or Department of Justice to get um, to get voter recounts. It's like that's not decided at that, that Department of Justice. That's a that's a state level issue. You know, what I mean, just basic yeah. things like that, where it's like it's really great that you're excited, but you need to figure out what you could be doing that would actually be effective. So giving a lot of money to Jill Stein for a recount when you don't actually know what that money is going towards may not be the most effective thing to do. Hmm. But you know, paying attention to state and local issues, thinking about voting access issues in your state leading up to the midterms, um, you know, so again, supporting the media to, to pay attention to folks like what Steve Bannon is doing or, or whatever, like that, that's important stuff. And, yeah. um, but you really do have to know how it works. Um, and um, so my feeling is that the, the media has meant, is meant to be the fourth body of government and we need to support them to be able to do that. Allison, do you think people want to know how it works? Um, I think some people do. Um, I think, I mean, so when we do communications work, the thing that we're trying to figure out is where we, what kind of message we want to communicate to people. And sometimes you're trying to make people aware. Sometimes you're trying to make people care. In this instance, I think you're trying to, it's, you're trying to make people understand, um, and understand is like that people are aware that things may not be going right and they're people and they care about it, but they're at the stage where they don't necessarily understand that they have any role to play or that anything can be done. Um, and so I think that if there are obviously a whole bunch of people, including the, you know, the, 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 the folks that 120 million people who didn't vote, um, that, um, that won't care. But I think that the people who are just flabbergasted and flustered and, and wanting to, you know, I think that they ultimately, um, want to their energy to be effective. And so being pointed in the direction of things that could be done that are meaningful, um, will be helpful. Hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I hope so. Um, if not, we're in trouble. Yeah. Now, now you and I got a extended two year civics class at yeah. the Harvard Kennedy School as grad students. I was there because I thought I wanted to become governor of Texas and it seemed like the right thing to do. Uh-huh. Why did you go to the Kennedy School? <laughs> so I I was at Rathaut before I went to the Kennedy School and had um, I went on a trip to um, South Africa while I was there and I was there. I was talking to people thinking about talking to young people um, 
essentially about life after the end of apartheid. And it was about like a generation past. And, but the conversations that I was having kept coming back to the fact that people were, um, you know, where, where you thought young people might feel really empowered, they were actually feeling incredibly disempowered because of the impact that HIV AIDS was having in the country or is uh, continuing to have. But at that point, um, so there was a great, there was a, a incredible sense of hopelessness. Um, and so I decided that I was really interested in doing work on um, HIV AIDS. And so um, I wanted to go to school. I, I actually, I tried to just sort of start a new career, but it became clear to me that folks that were already working in HIV AIDS expected me to have credentials that um, demonstrated that I knew what I was talking about. So I went to Harvard to, um, to really focus on um, HIV AIDS. And so my, the stuff that I focused on was how does the corporate sector play a role in addressing the pandemic? So yeah, that was, I was very purposeful in uh, going there. I did not want to become governor of Texas, but <laughs> It, you know, we could, we, there's always hope. There's still time. There's still time. There's still time. I still have to, I'd actually have to move <laughs> yeah, to Texas. You have to move to Texas. A little residency requirement. But that's, right. other than that, you're good. Right, right. Wow. We're what? How far removed are we? We're, we're over. Years. Yes. Thanks. Wow. 12 years. Okay. So <laughs> what are your thoughts just on grad school, right? Like in, in general. And um, do you advise people to go to grad school? Is it a case by case thing? You know, what, what, are, you, what are your thoughts? Oh, I, yeah, I definitely think it's a case by case thing. I do think that I mean, you were, you know, you're younger than I am, and you went in fairly soon after you after undergraduate, right? Yeah, yeah. So about yeah. yeah, one year after undergrad. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to think that people might like want to work a little while hmm. and then go to grad school. I mean, that's my feeling, and and it, you know, it's based on some, the fact that I did do that, and it what it was is that I would be in a classroom and I felt like I was probably having more aha moments because I was able to relate what they were talking about to experiences that I had had either in the workplace or, you know, yeah. I mean, just, it just felt familiar to me, but with a new, uh, with new light on it. And so I think that having that time to work, um, uh, and, um, and, you know, be in the, in the real world, um, mm. was, uh, was beneficial, but I think it's a case by case basis. I think it's an amazing, I mean, I look back at that time with incredible, I mean, I, I miss it. And, um, I'm, you know, I love the idea of being, you know, spending two years just learning like that's so great, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think you might, I, you know, my feeling is that there's an appreciation that I also had because I had, you know, there had, it, it wasn't like I just got out of college. And so I was able to really, you know, remember how great it was to um, just to be able to, to focus on yourself and bettering yourself and exposing yourself to new ideas. So, yeah. Yeah, I have the same feelings. Right? I mean, looking back on it, it didn't feel this way when we were studying for econ exams. But, mm -hmm. you know, you look back and you think, wow, two years to actually learn like people expect you to encounter new ideas and yeah. go to really riveting talks like that's such a special time and i i got so many you know kids now who are young folks who are like mm -hmm. so quick to get out and graduate early i'm like no for the love of god slow down yeah. slow down like yeah you want to tell them, like the rest of life is not that fabulous <laughs> right yeah and it's like like you don't really get I don't think people understand who are in school now. You can't really appreciate it until you get out, maybe, that you're not going to be around a lot of, like, a high concentration of motivated, yeah. sharp people, you know, probably ever, like, yeah. to that extent, right? And so, yeah. you know, really, really take advantage of it while you're there. Yeah, like, you have to, I mean, you know, you have to sort of create opportunities for yourself now. 
to do that. I mean, you know, you, you the, the stat that you cited earlier about people reading books, you know, I mean, it's, you know, fi- even finding time to read a newspaper, you know, you, you've got, do you have three kids or four kids now? I have four. Four. Yes. Yeah. You, so you must have lots of free time. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah, it just, to me, it just seems like there are, uh, you know, being, having that opportunity to really be in school and focus and, and as you say, be around a bunch of people who are, um, who are also dedicating themselves to learning. I mean, that's, it's, it's tremendous. Um, so yeah, I, I, I see no reason for anybody to rush, um, because it's yeah, the rest of life will still be there. Yes, so. yes. All right, I want to I want to go to the storytelling and and talk about Aggregate and and the company and how you founded it and what mm-hmm. like how did you get there? Sure. So um, I had worked for two large agencies uh, doing similar work. Um, our clients are all nonprofits and foundations, and then authors and filmmakers who are creating work that we believe could have social impact. Um, and so I was doing similar work for two larger, large agencies, both of which were owned by large holding companies. And there are all sorts of, you know, they're publicly traded companies, all sorts of restrictions on who you work with. And um, essentially you're, you know, you're middle management, but you might as well be nobody. Um, <laughs> and so I didn't necessarily agree with decisions that were being made. The biggest one was that I felt like, and I think this has a lot to do with, being a publicly traded company is that you tend to think in the short term, which is that you're thinking about quarterly revenue um, reporting and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you think in the short term and what that translates to is that you're not necessarily thinking about long-term relationships with your staff or with your clients or with your vendors. And so you don't treat them necessarily as well as you you would if you wanted to keep them around for a long time. So you might tell a client that you're capable of doing something. You don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do it. Or you might not pay a vendor, you know, within the 30 days, even though there are some kids sitting in their garage who could really use that $2,000 to pay their rent or, or your, you know, staff are not getting the pay increases that they deserve or, or, you know, just the work-life balance that they, that they need. So I wanted to start a company where I felt that it was about building long-term relationships with people and doing things the right way and, and making decisions about the kind of work I wanted to do without having to consider, you know, revenue targets. We've been around for five years now. We started off exclusively working with nonprofits and foundations, um, and then started to we started talking to authors and filmmakers who wanted to work with us, and so that expanded. But essentially, we do things. It's it's essentially three categories of work. We're either helping. Um, an organization to figure out what the right story is to tell, or we're actually producing content um, to tell that story, or for the authors and filmmakers, we're helping them to figure out how storytelling that they've done could have a social impact and helping them to make that happen. Hmm. So, and it's been, you know, it's been, it's, it's tough running a small business. You learn all sorts of things that you did not necessarily care about um, uh, things, you know, also I'm like, what tax am I paying now? Like, you know, lots of things that are, you know, and, you know, but, but I've, I've, it's been great. I mean, I, it, it has been an education and um, it's been good to, to know that I can do it. And, you know, it's, I essentially, I was working for agencies at a period where it was during the economic downturn, 2007, 2008, and people were losing jobs. And I knew that I had job security because I was able to, generate business. And so I figured I could use that um, skill set for my own benefit and not necessarily for hmm. big, big companies. Yeah. Um, As an entrepreneur, what, I mean, you're, you're good at a lot of things. What would you say is, is your main weakness? Uh, honestly, I think managing people, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's one of the skills that we don't necessarily get 
trained to do mm-hmm. as much as we should because it's you know I mean you can motivate people and you could be a mentor but really like you, you can't do anything without good people and without those good people doing good work and it that's a it's a real challenge and so I think that's been my greatest struggle I, I think I'm I'm capable of being um, a, a good mentor but I've had to bring in other people to help me to kind of manage you know and, and motivate people on a day-to-day basis hmm. What do you like most about, you talked about having this flexibility to choose your clients and it seems, I mean, this is kind of at the the core of human interaction is building stories out or either, you know, unearthing stories that have already been told and showing how the social impact um, or the social impact of the stories that some of your clients have created. Are there any particular projects that kind of stand out for you that were really fulfilling in terms of kind of where you were able to take a nonprofit or a filmmaker from from beginning to end? Um, so we're working on a project right now um, with a filmmaker by the name of David France. He made a film a few years ago called How to Survive a Plague, which is a book about the um, AIDS activist movement um, in New York, essentially around ACT UP in the sort of late 80s, early 90s. Um, and he's working on a new film right now, which is about the transgender rights um, pioneers, Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson. Um, and what's been really interesting about working with him on this project is that David will tell you that he, while he wants to tell stories that could have a social impact, he doesn't necessarily know how that works. Hmm. Um, and so he's, you know, he came to us with the, you know, I believe this can happen, but I don't know how to do it. And so I want you to do it. Um, and so what's been really exciting for us is to understand the stories that he's telling and to be able to find organizations that are out there that are working really hard to on present day transgender rights issues who, who themselves can see how um, having stories out there could benefit their very, you know, specific legislative or, or judicial objectives and, um, and being able to, to make, to bridge that gap. Um, and so that's really fulfilling is just being able to understand how partnerships, how partnerships in this instance are really going to have an impact. And so, um, so that's been really great. It's something we've been working Mm. on now for about a year. And it's just, it's, essentially the the kind of work I like to do is when I, I sincerely believe that we're making a contribution and it sounds kind of flaky, but it's true. Like in, in some instances you work with somebody who you feel like, well, I think they just need extra staff, <laughs> you know, and, and that's not necessarily all that fulfilling, you know, you're just like, okay. Um, but when you really feel like you're bringing a unique role um, to the table, um, that's incredibly fulfilling and you, that you're making things happen that wouldn't happen unless you were there. That's, important. And so in this case, um, and it's also just an opportunity to meet new people who are doing great work that, um, you know, you want to support to, to grow and to succeed. So, yeah. Last question for you stories. How do they stick? You know, I'm, I'm always, you know, I think of just how powerful it is when you hear a good story or when you watch a story unfold, when you hear someone tell a great story, how do you make a story stick even and and this is a question for you and it can be you know as as broad or particular however you want to answer it but i'm curious as someone who's really been in the weeds when it comes to storytelling what do you think are some of the the traits of a story that sticks so i i, I can tell my john hughes story 
so when I was a teenager, I wrote a fan letter to the filmmaker, John Hughes. And over the course of about three years while I was in high school, we were pen pals. Um, and when he died, um, in 2000, I'm going to get this wrong, 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote a blog post, um, about the fact that we had been pen pals and in the course of, of a weekend, 1 million people read that blog post on a blog that probably had maybe four people read it, you know, <laughs> like the, the day before, um, if that. And so I think about that story because the way people responded to it, it was about something that there was an emotional resonance for people that they wanted to, they were sad about the passing of someone that, that had had an impact on them as a kid and that they were in some way placing my, themselves in my shoes. And the fact that I was telling them that this person that they had, a, uh, had a lot of regard uh, for was actually a good guy. Hmm. It, 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 it resonated with them and it made them feel better um, about themselves. Hmm. It made them feel better about who he was. It made them feel better about their childhood or whatever it was, but it really, it resonated in that way. There was a personal, uh, resonance. And so I think, I think it's trying to find that secret thing that's going to, that people are going to relate to in a very personal way. Um, uh, and you know, it's, it's incredibly challenging. You know, it's not, I've never, for a client, I've never recreated that moment for them. I've never managed to get a million people to read their blog in a, in a weekend. Um, so it, there's a bit of a secret sauce and particularly with social media, it's really like what you don't always know it's going to, what's going to click with people. But it's, I, I think it is about like tapping into something incredibly personal for somebody and, um, and that's, what's going to resonate for them. Wow. Wow. Allison, thanks for visiting the tribe. Enjoyed it. You're uh, you're doing some excellent work. Um, you're out pounding the pavement, fighting the good fight, um, <laughs> staying in the rain out in Seattle. But, Yay! But, you know, I've got to get out there to see you. Okay, you should. It's 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 a very classic Seattle day. It's it's completely gray outside. Um, it's gray and miserable. So does it just, bring, does it bring you down at all? I mean, what? Well, the travel, that's part of the travel appeal as well. <laughs> if, you, if you live in Seattle, you need to leave Seattle. Um, but yeah, it can, it, can get, it can be kind of depressing. Yeah, um, but, but we have beautiful summer. So if people come to Seattle, they should only come between like June and, and September. Nice. Um, the rest of, yeah, it's, when it's beautiful. But yeah, it's a little, it can be a little dreary. When are you going to get to Austin? When am I going to, I haven't been, I've been to Austin once in my life. Oh, Jesus. Um, it was it was South by Southwest. It was hell. <laughs> like, <laughs> way too many, you know, digital geeks. It was just like get me out of here. Um, but yeah, no, I should get to Austin. I do have. I actually, I've, I've, there are a bunch of people I know there. So maybe on my trip, maybe as part of this big trip where I'm asking every, my my midlife crisis trip, um, Austin will be on the will be on that map. Are you going to record these these sessions? I mean, because this is going to be. I think you're going to get some. It'll be some really interesting content that's going to come yeah. out of this. Yeah. Yeah, I think I am going to. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, there's some there's some product that comes out of it because I do think it's, I don't, I, you know, as I've talked, people are like, oh yeah, yes. <laughs> um, so people are responding to it. Like everybody kind of wants to know what the hell am I doing with my life, <laughs> and can I do something else that's going to change the world? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, I believe so. Good stuff. Well, thanks again. Enjoy your rainy you, day Darren. out on the West Coast. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Darren. Have a great day. All right. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to A Tribe Called Yes. For more information, you can visit us at atribecalledyes.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. 
And don't forget, keep saying yes. Yes.